Indeed, he does love us and he loves us enough to give his uh, word to us as well to instruct us uh, about who he is and to remind us of his great love and to remind us of the implications of it for our lives. We're continuing on today and you can turn in your Bibles if you would like to or grab a, a Bible at the end of the pew if you don't have one handy in uh, the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, chapter five, uh, verses 27 through 32, as you'll see some verses that pull no punches. And as we look at these verses in just a moment, we should remind ourselves of what we've been walking through in the Sermon on the Mount in our time this fall, already four or five weeks, uh, that, that this is a message by Jesus given, and it's intended to, to function in our lives in a number of ways. One, to, to show us like a mirror, to reveal to us our need for his mercy and the ways that we need him to transform us. It's also a sort of goal, a trophy, a direction to aim for and pursue for our lives. It's a good direction that the Lord uh, gives to us that we don't have to wonder about. It's also in this message of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' constant refrain to, to really entice us, to, to woo us to uh, higher affections and higher love for Jesus and to recognize that in that we, we really find our hope. We really find our life. In all of this, we're encountering Jesus. We're encountering his words, his, his wonderful, uh, exquisite words for us. We're encountering as well the very person of Jesus and his work for us. It points us to the fact that as we look at these verses and we saw last week with unjustified anger and we're going to see today with the matters before us, we, we fall greatly short. And so it's wonderful to be reminded that Jesus, even as he preaches these things, fulfills all of them perfectly. And therefore, he's a perfect substitute, perfect uh, satisfaction, perfect mediator for you and for me as we put our trust in him, Jesus is walking through the part of the Sermon on the Mount where he clarifies some of the commandments from the Old Testament and what they mean for us today. I invite you to stand with me, read along silently as I read aloud uh, these challenging verses. Beginning in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you should lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you would lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him have let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You may be seated and let's pray. Father, indeed, uh, challenging words uh, for us that bring us to your mercy seat, even as we read them. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we study and as we meditate upon them for your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I brought along, I left at home my eye gouger. Forgot my eye gouger, but I brought along this handy dandy device. And, you know, 
I don't, you know, there's a lot of things in here. I don't know what Jesus was thinking, but, you know, the, the, the right-handed, for most of us, that's just a hard chop. You know, it's, it's going to be hard for that to happen. But, you know, I'll take care of things for me, and then maybe we can do sort of a communion line thing. Come on up front, and I'll just leave this here, and everybody can take care of whatever we need to. But what is Jesus trying to say when he speaks with these uh, words that are pretty bold, pretty powerful for us? I think the message is this, and if you want to follow along in the sermon notes section at the back of your worship guide, I'll work my way towards the main idea. Jesus wants us to realize, hear this, that the damage to our souls is so very great when we turn away in thought or in action from God's design for us to find sexual intimate fulfillment in the marriage relationship, that Jesus calls us instead to see the beauty of the pathway that he invites us to and steer away from anything that falls short of that. He cares about us enough to speak this word to us that's probably challenging for each one of us in different ways. Instead, Jesus wants us to experience his faithful love for us. And through that, to be opened up, to see the issues internally that he identifies here, to vigilantly address those things internally and externally, and in all of this, to see the beauty of the calling of marriage for those that God calls to that. Uh, This is not a way, as we should see right off the bat, for us to, by having perfect purity of thought, or perfect marriage relationship that we can somehow earn or gain our favor or standing with God. Quite the opposite. It's a reminder that only God is a faithful one and that we desperately need his faithful love for us who are so unfaithful in our hearts. Main idea then you might uh, take, and it's in your worship guide, is that since Jesus is faithful to love us unfaithful ones, We should go to any length possible to walk in faithfulness. Now, this this message is is all throughout the scriptures, but several key places uh, the the scriptures highlighted, especially with this marriage analogy, our analogy, our relationship with God highlighted in that way. I think about the book of, of Hosea from the Old Testament. A whole book essentially about a prophet of God who's directed Hosea to marry his wife, Gomer, and Gomer, who has a propensity to wander away from that marriage relationship repeatedly. And yet again and again, God calls Hosea to, to come back, to show love, to show mercy, to show forgiveness, to be reconciled. And it's a picture ultimately of God's love for you and for me. Ezekiel chapter 16 has another similar image of a a man coming along and uh, finding this little girl that's in need that no one is caring for and and raising and nurturing her. It's a little little bit unusual because then he takes her as his wife, but you get the picture and he bestows on her every blessing and provides for her in every way. And yet the picture in Ezekiel 16 is of her taking all those blessings and benefits and again moving away from that 
relationship. Our passage we just read in Isaiah 54 at the beginning of our worship service. If you want to flip back there in your worship guide to the invocation, the call to worship, I guess it is. It says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. The scriptures are replete then with this picture of how God in this sort of marriage relationship, uh, he is the groom, we as the bride are, are cherished and held tight to him, even though we're prone to wander away from that. So that is the background for our verses today. And as we uh, begin to work our way towards these these verses, uh, I'll remind us the scriptures does teach us does teach us even in those verses we just read that this is something that both men and women struggle with, although the verses kind of identify and highlight in Matthew the struggle that men perhaps have. It's also something that affects both the married and the unmarried. If Jesus is talking here primarily about a married person looking outside of their marriage relationship, what the scriptures called adultery. We can certainly extrapolate that out to those who would look lustfully outside of a marriage relationship prior to being married, uh, young people or those who are yet married. So this is uh, applies to all of us in that way. It applies to to young and to old as well. Uh, We can think about the hormones that rage for some of the young ones or some of ours that are about to be in that stage of life. And we uh, pray for them in that in that challenging part of life prior to being married and the the difficulties of that. But many of us in sort of my stage and phase can look around and see our peers who are struggling, hitting some rocky road in the marriage relationship and then perhaps side of that. And then we can also look at those who are empty nesters and maybe the kids are gone and all those responsibilities have faded out. And again, a testing, a challenge is put on that marriage relationship. So it affects us all young and old. I was uh, visiting not too long ago or attempting to visit one uh, of the members of our congregation that was for a short time in a nursing home. And I stopped at the front desk. I didn't know where the uh, the individual was. And, and so I was standing there by the desk, and there was a receptionist and a couple of nurse ladies back behind there. And, and a woman, uh, probably in her late 80s, walked up to me, and she smiled. And I smiled back, you know, nursing home. Sometimes there's maybe not a whole lot of people visiting. And so I'm trying to be friendly, do my pastor thing while I'm there. Well, I may have smiled a little too much. A woman came over to me and she started to pat me on my arm. And I asked her how she was doing. And she talked about what's going on and, uh, and, and how, she, you know, how she is. And she was having some difficulty. And, and, uh, and the ladies behind the desk sort of started to snicker a little bit. I should have probably figured out that something was going on or that maybe they had seen this before. The woman began to inform me about where her room was in the nursing home and that, uh, you know, I might want to venture on back there with her. She patted me on the arms a few more times and I realized, hey, this beard is making me look older. This beard is really making me look older. So uh, so back my way out of that nursing home pretty fast and was glad to be uh, be out of there. But uh, young, old, we're all affected by these things. And uh, and it hits us in a lot of different forms, doesn't it? It hits us not only in the way Jesus describes with the way that we can look at another person to whom we are attracted in the way that our thought life can run with its own imagination in the material that we're almost bombarded with on 
the internet and in movies and in magazines with the racy novels that can be grabbed at the library or at any store. In all of these ways, we see what one writer says is that lust shares with sins like envy and pride, the distinction of being invisible, slippery and difficult to pin down. The interesting thing about all of this is that it's really the uh, corruption, the brokenness of a good thing. We didn't come up with this idea of attraction in this way. We didn't come up with this idea of a marital intimacy. This is something God invented and made. It's a good thing. And the church has rightly uh, probably been criticized in the past for uh, forgetting that message, saying all the bad things about what not to do and forgetting that God gives us as a blessing, as a benefit, as a joy for us. Uh, used in the context that he designed for us. I like uh, one of the books that I've uh, had a chance to read been helpful to me and I've used in sharing with others that uh, are struggling perhaps with some of the matters in these verses. It's entitled False Intimacy by a guy named Schomburg. And I really like it because the whole premise of the book is that what we're ultimately seeking, whether it's with the look or the thought or whatever pursuit we're going down this pathway, we're really seeking intimacy. We're really seeking something that's good. We're just like the country song says, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. We're prone to to do that. Uh, Richard Foster says what I'm trying to say probably a little bit better. Uh, it's pretty direct, but it's true. And I think it's in your worship guide. He says lust produces bad sex because it denies relationship. Lust turns the other person into an object, a thing, a non-person. Jesus condemned lust because it cheapened sex. It made it less than it was created to be. For Jesus, it was too good, too high, too holy to be thrown away by cheap thoughts. You believe that today? That's really a centerpiece of all that Jesus tells us in these verses. And boy, it's a hard one to believe in the cultural setting that we find ourselves in, because doesn't our culture tell us exactly the opposite message? And we've got our own brokenness inside and we know sin comes up from within there. But the culture bombards us with this message that really the best way to find satisfaction in this whole area we're discussing is to move outside of that uh, marriage context. Or if you're not yet married, to get that satisfaction and not worry about the purity that God's called you until you're in a marriage relationship. That's the message that our culture bombards us with and even would go as far to say, hey, just pursue this a little bit and it'll it'll meet your needs. Kind of like you ever talk to somebody that's wrestled or maybe you're in this situation that's wrestled with a substance addiction, alcohol or or other substances. And you talk to them and, and they'll explain to you, you know, I have to be completely clear of this thing, because what happens is when I pursue a little bit, it's not that I really am satisfied. It's then I need more. And then I need more. And the culture tells tells us uh, something else. The culture tells us, I just pursue this a little bit and that'll take care of things. Don't worry too much about it, which leads us to kind of the second thing that the culture says. And then I'll dive into the verses for a minute. The other thing that our our culture shows us is we kind of look around and we see other people and the brokenness of our society in this whole area that we're discussing this morning. And we we begin to think it can very easily seep into our minds. I know it goes into mine that if I can just be a little bit ahead 
of where everything else is in our culture on these matters, then I'm doing what God wants me to do. Then I'm really in the place that God would have me. And, and, and that's not what Jesus says. Jesus invites us to be pretty vigilant and to deal real specifically to try to glorify him in our lives, not just stay away from everybody else or stay above everybody else around us or the brokenness we see around us. It's kind of like the two guys that are camping. Maybe you remember the story. They're out there camping and they're getting their you know tent packed up and so forth and putting out the campfire. And along comes a, a huge bear at the edge of their campsite and he looks ferocious and they both look at one another and they know that this bear is about to come after them. And the one guy gets down, you know, they're still getting ready in the morning and he puts his shoes on and begins to tie up his shoes. And his buddy says, why are you putting on shoes? You can't outrun a bear. Guy says to his friend, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just got to outrun you. Right. Just stay a little bit ahead. That's all that we got to do. That's what the culture would tell us. Jesus calls us to something really different. He calls us to say, wow, I've experienced faithful love from you, even though in my heart I'm an unfaithful sort of person. And because of that, man, I want to seek a sort of faithfulness in my life that's really sort of unnatural to me in my fallen condition. You designed me to have it, but it's unnatural in my fallen condition. That's what I aspire to. That's what I desire to experience. And Jesus gets at this in a couple of ways. Number one, he talks about the fact that this is really an internal problem. Look with me at verses 27 through 28. He says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. One commentator puts it uh, this way. He said the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Jesus's day had a conveniently narrow definition of sexual sin and a conveniently broad definition of sexual purity. I made it big enough. We can camp out under this tent and we'll make the, the, the requirements that God has for us, his desire for us, conveniently small. It's kind of like we saw last week in looking at anger, right? Jesus says, hey, it's not just the actual murdering that is really the problem. And it's not even the unjustified anger. It's the the working within of some kind of sin and evil that causes us to want to have unjustified anger. Jesus says this stuff runs very deep for us. And so we ought to deal with it in a deep way. Now, we could say this, that uh, as Jesus speaks about this look with lustful intent, what, what exactly does that mean? We kind of want to know what he's talking about. Uh, I, I think, in, you know, in theory, of course, you could look at someone who was, you know, unclothed, perhaps, and not lust. I'm not recommending it, but, you know, you could. Uh, what Jesus is reminding us, though, is that we don't even really have to see anything to have something well up in our heart that's not really glorifying to him. John Stott puts it this way, and it's in your worship guide again. He says, our vivid imagination is one of the many faculties which distinguish us from animals. It's a precious gift of God. It's a good thing. None of the world's art and little of man's noblest achievements would have been possible without it. Imagination enriches the quality of life, but all God's gifts need to be used responsibly. They can be readily degraded and abused. What he's saying is that really there's something below that tip of the iceberg, proverbially, you know, 
We talk about that, but there's something beneath it. And I think what Jesus would have us to do is to begin to ask that question, not just kind of what am I doing with my eyes or even where are my thoughts going when this thing comes on the Internet or when this book, racy book, seems like something I would like to read or when this person at work or in the neighborhood or wherever comes to my attention and I start to feel myself drawn to them in a way that I shouldn't be. Jesus says, hey, look below the surface. What's what's that iceberg that's sitting below there? And I think some questions he would have for us is, you know, where are those places where we feel sort of a lack of identity in Christ? Where really we're not experiencing his deep love and we feel like we've got to find that love somewhere else. Where Where's the lack of significance that we feel? And is there something that just has happened in my life that makes me feel like less of a significant person? And then I have to find something to satisfy that. Is there is there some sort of brokenness of the world that's just landing upon me? Maybe it's my own struggles and the struggles around me. And I feel like I need some sort of escape. I've got to get away. Jesus is saying, look below the surface, see what's driving this thing, because it's internal. A question for you and for me is to ask, do do we believe that uh, that Jesus is concerned about these things? First of all, I think he makes it pretty clear here. Do we uh, would we be willing to take a look, not just at our actions and thoughts, but what actually is below the surface driving them? The second thing we see is uh, really what I opened up with, with my uh, hatchet illustration, my axe illustration. Look at verses 20 to 29 to 30, where it speaks and shows uh, Jesus calling us to be vigilant about these matters. I mean, he calls us to be vigilant about our walk with him in so many other ways. He tells the disciple that if we're going to come to him, we should die. And if we lose our life, we'll save it. So it's this isn't new news. He's just taking that message and applying it to this specific issue that many of us struggle with in a variety of ways. Why is he talking about chopping off limbs and gouging out eyes? So he's sort of a glutton for punishment. Is it like some of the early church fathers that actually took that literally? <laughs> no, he's trying to say that, hey, this is so much at the center of my heart for you. I want I want the best for you and I want the greatest joy for you in the way that I've designed you to relate to, to people of the opposite sex. I, I want that in the best way. So so I want to tell you in such an extreme way that if it would actually help you to To be able to walk more in step with me, it would be worth it to chop off the hand or gouge out the eye. That's how how vital this is. That's how important your relationship with me is. And I want you to experience that to the fullest. That, I think, is Jesus's message for us. I remember um, some years ago, I don't remember actually which mission trip it was on or some personal travel or what, but uh, patients and I were, were traveling. And it was at that time when uh, the, the hoof and mouth disease was big and, and people were concerned about the livestock. And I think maybe there was even some uh, manifestation of it in, in people that could infect people. But I know everybody was worried about all the animals being killed. And it was I don't remember which borders we were going across, but in our travels, everywhere we went, they were vigilant. 
They, they, they made you take your shoes off. We can think of it today with the, the, how we're on guard because of terrorism. This was kind of the scary thing at the time. And, and by the way, uh, just so you know, you know, dads, maybe you need to know these things. You know, hoof and mouth uh, disease is different from some other things. I remember patients coming home one time from the pediatrician and saying, oh, yeah, one of the youngsters has hand, foot, and mouth disease. I thought, oh, oh no, we're, we lost one. One's gone. No, hoof and mouth is a whole different category but this was a serious thing and i remember going through those checkpoints and they had you step in this like solution that was supposed to kill it on your shoes and then you had to like take off your shoes some places and send them through a zapper and then they they asked you you know have you been in contact with any livestock have you seen any livestock have you talked to any livestock have you talked to anybody who's talked to any live you know all these sorts of questions Because they were being vigilant and it always stuck with me because I thought, is that the kind of guarding that I have for my heart? Is that the kind of multiple approaches to try to keep myself close in step with Jesus that I have? And and it's not, I have to confess. And it is challenging for me, these words from Jesus. Last thing, and uh, it really could warrant its own subject because our own sermon because of the way this subject touches all of our lives in, in various ways. But I'll take just a few minutes today at the end of our message to talk about verses 31 and 32, because I think for Jesus, they're really connected together. This this really is about sort of faithfulness in marriage is the is the main theme here. And he talks in verse 31. He says it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let her let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Uh, You know, we're not the first culture, believe it or not, to come up with the sort of idea of no fault divorce. And I realize as I uh, speak to this topic, we've got folks here in probably all different situations. Uh, We've got folks here that maybe haven't been divorced. We've got folks here that haven't been married. We've got folks that were divorced and it wasn't something that you really wanted. You resisted, maybe tried everything not to have it happen. There's other folks here. Maybe it was something that you pursued and thought was a good idea. Maybe it was something for folks here that you pursued before you knew Christ. Maybe you knew Christ and you were sort of walking out of step at that period in your life with Christ. So it's a complex uh, and varied thing here. I don't mean to oversimplify it. But what I want us to see today is what Jesus calls us to here as well. And that is that, you know, what do you do when your marriage relationship doesn't just seem to be struggling a little bit, but starts to seem like it's hanging by a thread? And I just want to encourage us to seek the, the help that we would need to 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 share, to pursue that, and to recognize that Jesus' good plan, just like the issues we just discussed of purity and thought, Jesus' good plan for us, really, it's hard to believe sometimes when we're in that point of great struggle in a marriage relationship, is for us to stay together. And he, he does give permission for divorce in the case of sexual immorality, but I will say this. As I have counseled with folks, and I have in mind a particular couple that I I met with over a period of time in, in, in past years of ministry, where one spouse had been unfaithful not just one time, multiple times. And finally, after this was confessed to me and we worked to help bring this to light to the other spouse, 
in a context of sort of counseling and so forth, it was an amazing work that God did. This couple, if they were standing right up here before you today, they're not, they're not in our church family. But if they were, they, they would tell you that the, the last number of years of their marriage compared to the first 10 years of their marriage, it has been so wonderful. The last number of years compared to those first 10 that they never really had dealt honestly and openly with one another. And it didn't excuse anything that the one spouse did. And that, and that's, that person knew what they had, had done was quite wrong. But God did a work of restoration. God, God did a work of forgiveness. And the place that they are today is so incredibly beautiful. Would you join me in believing that for your marriage if you're married today? And, and if the, the wheels are falling off, if things are running off the track, would you, would you because Jesus invites us to, to that pathway of marriage commitment and marriage love, would you... Seek that help that you can get. I know we read, we saw the video a few weeks ago about life group. Maybe you're not going to walk into your life group or small group or whatever and say, hey, the wheels are coming off. We're in a really bad place. But, but what if you what if you did? What if you at least said, hey, we're struggling and we need you to pray for us. We really are. We need we need help right now. And we don't want to go into all of it, but we just want you to know that we're wrestling. Or maybe there's somebody, me or a counselor. I know they don't want to be highlighted, but Brian and Carla Gross in our own church, they've met with couples from our church family and are, are counseling with the training they have in counseling to reach out and help folks in some of these areas. So we, we want to support you in all of these things and walk in the way that Jesus would have us. Last thing, and I'll conclude with this. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, in, in kind of writing about all these matters we discussed today, uh, described us as being like sailors who have landed on an island whose ship has been wrecked, and in the process we've been struck in the head. And we've been struck in the head in such a way that we, we pick up the gold coins that have landed on the shore there on this island from the ship, and, and we just toss them out into the water because they don't seem to have any purpose for us. And we we take the uh, nautical devices that were on the ship that were meant to, to direct us and maybe could help us find escape and find a way out if we were to be uh, seek rescue at one point. And, and we use those as just little toys to hang something on. And and you take the, the fine garments that had maybe been shipped on this boat that were uh, wonderful pieces of fabric and meant to be used for these uh, fancy pieces of clothing and you just sort of make a makeshift tent out of them because because we don't know what these things are supposed to be for anymore and that's kind of the way we are with this issue of marital intimacy and even as it says in the last part of this with marriage it's like we've been hit in the head isn't it sometimes (laughs) and we've forgotten all the great things that these are for in their proper place and and in their design place. Let us see more and more clearly in our lives the faithful love of God for unfaithful ones like us. And out of that, would we pray, would we ask that Holy Spirit would come and allow us to be people that really love and love one another in a faithful way, especially as he calls us to in marriage. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for this word today that, like the message we saw last week and have seen each week, really, in the Sermon on the Mount, just levels us all. 
just pretty much takes us all down and shows us uh, of our great need for you. And Lord, I pray that that would really drive us to you. We'd be folks that find our highest satisfaction in you and that all other satisfactions in life would uh, flow downstream from that and would fit within the design and plan that you have for them. And that we'd really see that as good. Lord, help us to be those who hold firm to the truth in the midst of the lies that surround us and the lies that come up from our own minds and our own souls. And Lord, let us in so in doing that uh, so glorify you and and uh, so exemplify the things of you that like we saw earlier in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, we might be salt and light. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.